0: section forty five of mark twain's autobiography volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain read by john greenman wednesday april eleventh nineteen oh six mr frank fuller and his enthusiastic launching of mr clemens's first new york lecture results not in fortune but in fame leads to a lecture tour under direction of redpath clipping in regard to frank fuller and mr clemens's comments i am not glancing through my books to find out what i have said in them i refrain from glancing through those books for two reasons first and and this reason always comes first in every matter connected with my life laziness i am too lazy to examine the books. The other reason is, well, let it go. I had another reason, but it had slipped out of my mind while I was arranging the first one. I think it likely that in the book called Roughing It I have mentioned Frank Fuller, but I don't know, and it isn't any matter. When Orion and I crossed the continent in the overland stagecoach in the summer of 1861, we stopped two or three days in Great Salt Lake City. I do not remember who the governor of Utah Territory was at that time, but I remember that he was absent, which is a common habit of territorial governors who are nothing but politicians who go out to the outskirts of countries and suffer the privations there in order to build up states and come back as united states senators but the man who was acting in the governor's place was the secretary of the territory frank fuller called governor of course just as orion was in the great days when he got that accident title through Governor Nye's absences. Titles of honor and dignity once acquired in a democracy, even by accident and properly usable for only forty-eight hours, are as permanent here as eternity is in heaven. You can never take away those titles once a justice of the peace for a week always judge afterward once a major of militia for a campaign on the fourth of july always a major to be called colonel purely by mistake and without intention confers that dignity on a man for the rest of his life we adore titles and heredities in our hearts and ridicule them with our mouths. This is our democratic privilege. Well, Fuller was acting governor, and he gave us a very good time during those two or three days that we rested in Great Salt Lake City. He was an alert and energetic man, a pushing man, a man who was able to take an interest in anything that was going and not only that but take five times as much interest in it as it was worth and ten times as much as anybody else could take in it a very live man i was on the pacific coast thereafter five or six years and returned to the states by way of the isthmus in january sixty seven in the previous year i had spent several months in the sandwich islands for the sacramento union and had returned to san francisco empty as to cash but full of information information proper for delivery from the lecture platform my letters from the islands had given me a large notoriety local notoriety it did not extend eastward more than a hundred miles or so but it was a good notoriety to lecture on and i made use of it on the platform in california and nevada and amassed twelve or fifteen hundred dollars in the few nights that i labored For the instruction and amusement of my public fifteen hundred dollars was about half the doorkeeper got the rest he was an old circus man and knew how to keep door when i arrived in new york i found fuller there in some kind of business he was very hearty very glad to see me and wanted to show me his wife I had not heard of a wife before, had not been aware that he had one, Well, he showed me his wife, a sweet and gentle woman with most hospitable and kindly and winning ways. Then he astonished me by showing me his daughters. Upon my word, they were large, and matronly of aspect, and married. He didn't say how long oh fuller was full of surprises if he had shown me some little children that would have been well enough and reasonable but he was too young looking a man to have grown children well i couldn't fathom the mystery and i let it go apparently it was a case where a man was well along in life but had a handsome gift of not showing his age on the outside. Governor Fuller, it is what all his New York friends called him now, of course, was in the full storm of one of his enthusiasms. He had one enthusiasm per day, and it was always a storm. He said, I must take the biggest hall in New York and deliver that lecture of mine on the Sandwich Islands, said that people would be wild to hear me. There was something catching about that man's prodigious energy. For a moment he almost convinced me that New York was wild to hear me. I knew better. I was well aware that New York had never heard of me, was not expecting to hear of me, and didn't want to hear of me yet that man almost persuaded me i protested as soon as the fire which he had kindled in me had cooled a little and went on protesting it did no good fuller was sure that i should make fame and fortune right away without any trouble he said leave it to him just leave everything to him go to the hotel and sit down and be comfortable he would lay fame and fortune at my feet in ten days i was helpless i was persuadable but i didn't lose all of my mind and i begged him to take a very small haul and reduce the rates to sideshow prices no he would not hear of that said he would have the biggest hall in new york city he would have the basement hall in cooper institute which seated three thousand people and there was room for half as many more to stand up and he said he would fill that place so full at a dollar a head that those people would smother and he could charge 2 dollars a piece to let them out oh he was all fire with his project he went ahead with it he said it shouldn't cost me anything i said there would be no profit he said leave that alone if there is no profit that is my affair if there is profit it is yours if it is loss i stand the loss myself and you will never hear of it he hired cooper institute and he began to advertise this lecture in the usual way a small paragraph in the advertising columns of the newspapers when this had continued about three days i had not yet heard anybody or any newspaper say anything about that lecture and I got nervous. Oh, he said, it's working around underneath. You don't see it on the surface. He said, let it alone now. Let it work. Very well, I allowed it to work until about the sixth or seventh day. The lecture would be due in three or four days more. Still I was not able to get down underneath where it was working, and so I was filled with doubt and distress. I went to Fuller and said he must advertise more energetically. He said he would. So he got a barrel of little things printed that you hang on a string fifty in a bunch. They were for the omnibuses. You could see them swinging and dangling around in every omnibus my anxiety forced me to haunt those omnibuses. I did nothing for one or two days but sit in buses and travel from one end of New York to the other and watch those things dangle and wait to catch somebody pulling one loose to read it. (laughs) It never happened. At least, it happened only once. A man reached up and pulled one of those things loose, said to his friend, Lecture on Sandwich Islands by Mark Twain. Who can that be, I wonder? And he threw it away and changed the subject. I couldn't travel in the omnibus any more. I was sick. I went to Fuller and said, Fuller, there is not going to be anybody in Cooper Institute that night, but you and me it will be a dead loss for we shall both have free tickets something must be done i am on the verge of suicide i would commit suicide if i had the pluck and the outfit i said you must paper the house fuller you must issue thousands of complimentary tickets you must do this i shall die if i have to go before an empty house that is not acquainted with me and that has never heard of me and that has never traveled in the bus and seen those things dangle well he said with his customary enthusiasm i'll attend to it it shall be done i will paper that house and when you step on the platform you shall find yourself in the presence of the choicest audience the most intelligent audience that ever a man stood before in this world and he was as good as his word he sent whole baskets full of complimentary tickets to every public school teacher within a radius of thirty miles of new york he deluged those people with complimentary tickets and on the appointed night they all came. There wasn't room in Cooper Institute for a third of them. The lecture was to begin at half-past seven. I was so anxious that I had to go to that place at seven. I couldn't keep away. I wanted to see that vast, vacant mammoth cave and die, but when I got near the building I found that all the streets for a quarter of a mile around were blocked with people, and traffic was stopped. I couldn't believe that those people were trying to get into Cooper Institute, and yet that was just what was happening. I found my way around to the back of the building and got in there by the stage door, and sure enough the seats, the aisles, The great stage itself was packed with bright-looking human beings raked in from the centers of intelligence, the schools. I had a deal of difficulty to shoulder my way through the mass of people on the stage, and when I had managed it and stood before the audience, that stage was full. There wasn't room enough left for a child. I was happy, and I was excited beyond expression. I poured the Sandwich Islands out on to those people with a free hand, and they laughed, and they shouted to my entire content. For an hour and fifteen minutes I was in paradise. From every pore I exuded a divine delight, and when we came to count up we had thirty-five dollars in the house fuller was just as jubilant over it as if it had furnished the fame and the fortune of his prophecy he was perfectly delighted perfectly enchanted he couldn't keep his mouth shut for several days oh he said the fortune didn't come in that didn't come in that's all right that's coming in later the fame is already here mark why in a week you'll be the best-known man in the United States this is no failure this is a prodigious success that episode must have cost him four or five hundred dollars but he never said a word about that he was as happy as satisfied as proud as delighted as if he had laid the fabled golden egg and hatched it he was right about the fame i certainly did get a working quantity of fame out of that lecture the new york newspapers praised it the country newspapers copied those praises the lyceums of the country it was right in the heyday of the old lyceum lecture system began to call for me i put myself in redpath's hands and i caught the tail end of the lecture season i went west and lectured every night for six or eight weeks at a hundred dollars a night and i now considered that The whole of the prophecy was fulfilled. I had acquired fame and also fortune. I don't believe these details are right, but I don't care a rap. They will do just as well as the facts. What I mean to say is that I don't know whether I made that lecturing excursion in that year or whether it was the following year but the main thing is that i made it and that the opportunity to make it was created by that wild frank fuller and his insane and immortal project all this was thirty-eight or thirty-nine years ago two or three times since then at intervals of years i have run across frank fuller for a moment only a moment and no more but he was always young never a gray hair never a suggestion of age about him always enthusiastic always happy and glad to be alive last fall his wife's brother was murdered in a horrible way apparently a robber had concealed himself in mr thompson's room and in the night had beaten him to death with a club. A couple of months ago I ran across Fuller on the street, and he was looking so very, very old, so withered, so moldy, that I could hardly recognize him. He said his wife was dying of the shock caused by the murder of her brother, that nervous prostration was carrying her off and she could not live more than a few days. So I went with him to see her. She was sitting upright on a sofa and was supported all about with pillows. Now and then she leaned her head for a little while on a support. Breathing was difficult for her. It touched me, for I had seen that picture so many, many times. During two or three months, Mrs. Clemens sat up like that, day and night, struggling for breath. When she was made drowsy by opiates and exhaustion, she rested her head a little while on a support, just as Mrs. Fuller was doing, and got naps of two minutes or three minutes' duration. I did not see mrs fuller alive again she passed to her rest about three days later end of section forty five and end of mark twain's autobiography volume two read by john greenman